I am Neil Edwards, and this is The Leadership Range, where we elevate the voices of black and brown coaches, leaders and allies, and have soulful conversations about all things at the intersections of leadership, relationships and teams, well-being and inclusion. Here I offer deep insights and practical tips for work and life. In the spirit of love and justice, two values that I hold high, values for humanity, I want to share a little bit about leadership today, inclusive leadership. Now, this may be a little bit meandering today, but I'm going to ask you to just stick with me for a while because I'm, I'm just sharing. And as, I, as I'm sharing, I want you to, you know, in your own heart, in your own soul, in your body, in your mind to reflect and respond to yourself and, and see what this does for you. Take it in and see how and if it moves you uh, and, and moves you somewhere different by the end of uh, the sharing today. It's just a point of view. So right now I find myself boiled, boiled with the incessant failure of American society and American companies to live up to their declarations of diversity, equity, and inclusion. A lot has been said and a lot has been done, but I am not seeing evidence of work that produces results, results that represent love and justice as I see it. Ethnic and racial minorities continue to suffer at high levels and experience harmful inequities in all corners and spaces based on my observation. When I think about my lifespan and even the decades before I was ever born and came on to this earth and the amount of people and the amount of work that's been poured into creating a more equitable society in the United States, it seems like we ought to be further and it seems like the progress we ought to be making should be clearer, and it is not. In fact, I could imagine some would argue that things are getting worse, but just in, in different ways based on what modern society has in front of us right now. The excuses, justifications, defensiveness, obfuscations, fragility, and outright dishonesty can feel suffocating. I have a whole list of topics, but not, not really topics, just contexts for the same conversation. I don't really want to focus on those contexts or, or topics, but I'll, I'll give you a few just so you have a sense for what I'm talking about. Voter suppression, you know, these laws and bills that are introduced in, I think, 43 states right now to make it more difficult for underrepresented minorities and marginalized people, black people to vote. Graffiti at Northern Kentucky University. These are things that are in the news right now. Anti-Asian violence. Uh, bias in, in data algorithms and how AI is expanding discrimination. Just built into the way we're living in a more technologically advanced world. Uh, our data and algorithms are ubiquitous and are harming people today. Book clubs, book clubs, book clubs. All sorts of conversation between or in homogenous groups for a long time with really not a whole lot of anything coming out of it. Allyship from performative declarations to now approximately nothing. Diversity, equity and inclusion in organizations which amount to HR functions designed to first protect companies and then redistribute human beings, to Major League Baseball making a move 
and a statement uh, based on voter suppression laws in Georgia. Those are some of the contexts that, you know, we could lean into and have conversations about, but I don't really want to focus there. You know, and I just want to be clear, there, there is a tremendous amount of work focused on inclusion, which is not bad. I, I believe in advancing what it means to be an inclusive leader. I actually do a lot of this work myself, but that is not the one conversation. You know, people get tied up when you use words like one or most or everything or nothing. So maybe it's not one conversation, but this is a, a big conversation that needs to happen. And, and that conversation is about white supremacy and whether or not it is being dismantled by actions. Yeah, white supremacy, it's, it's real, it's present, it exists. It, it's more than real. It's actually ubiquitous. That's what we're talking about. It's at least a starting point. You know, it might be that any voice that says they're committed to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and is not also committed to dismantling the systems and structures of white supremacy, is a voice of wasted energy. Why would I say something like that? You know, it's, it's great to stand for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. But if the ground we stand on is the same, if it's unchanged ground, if it's the unchanged ground of white supremacy, then I suggest it does not matter what we stand for because we have no ground to stand on. The ground has to change. The systems and structures have to change. If we use freedom of speech to say all the things that we say matter to us about justice, to say all the things that matter to us about inclusion and civil rights, if we use that freedom of speech to keep speaking, and we're stand, standing on the ground of white supremacy, and then on top of that, doing very little to take action, then what is that worth? There are people out there who have different ideas. They're not interested in equity. They're not interested in equality, inclusion, and belonging. And they have freedom of speech too. And what I'm seeing is they take action. An example of that is what has happened in Georgia, and what is trying to happen in 43 other states. And, you know, and I have to give it to them. They, they've, they've voiced what they want. They've taken action and they have created change. Perhaps the reason they're able to create this change so quickly is because of the ground that they're standing on. They have an advantage. For those of us who are seeking justice and equity for all human beings, Using our free speech and stating that out loud while standing on the ground of white supremacy and then becoming passive is not going to produce change or any meaningful results. Now, of course, not everybody is passive. A lot of people take action and start building things and doing things and creating things that we can see, uh, but they're building them on the ground of white supremacy. From my point of view, it would make sense that most, if not all of these things that are built above the ground, on the ground of white supremacy, are destined for failure. A quick scan of U.S. society and corporations can really highlight, you know, what I'm talking about. Not a lot has worked very well. And in particular, if you look at corporations, you know, we can argue that there's not a single diversity, equity, and inclusion program that's been successful if we just look at the data. I am not a diversity, equity, and inclusion scholar, but I've read their books. I don't even consider myself a diversity, equity, and inclusion subject matter expert or specialist, 
but I have done a ton of work in diversity, equity, and inclusion based on the work that I do. You know, I, I'm a coach and a leadership developer, and I do quite a bit of work in diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I certainly don't consider myself an expert. I am a supporter and collaborator. Now, a lot of people who are white might be on the edge of their seat, uh, a little bit upset with the frequency of my use of the word white and, and white supremacy. And I want to be clear. I'm talking about systems and structures. Systems and structures that support people who are white and give people who are white an advantage. For the most part, there is no choice but to live in that system and to live with those advantages. Sometimes, though, there is an opportunity to either bolster that system of white supremacy or to take actions, make decisions and take actions that begin to chip away at that floor. For example, a historical example, white flight. A certain percentage of people who are black move into the neighborhood and all the white people move out. A current modern day example in the workplace, silence. You see aggressions, you see bias and discrimination at work and say and do nothing. That's an individual example. Here is a corporate example. Invite luminaries into the organization to have a conversation, a webinar about race, pre-select the questions, cleanse the questions, and make certain that none of the questions are directed at the organization internally. What are you doing about racism inside your organization? What are you doing about white supremacy inside your organization? A complete avoidance, an opportunity to address the floor that we stand on. Which brings me back to my point at the beginning of this episode. Inclusive leadership, and maybe even ethical leadership. If we make the assumption that we've produced more inclusive leaders, and, and perhaps even more ethical leaders, then it leads me to the conclusion that it's not enough. Perhaps we need another kind of leader, but I'll come back to that. I've spent a lot of my time in the workplace coaching underrepresented minorities around how to navigate race and racism in the workplace, working on building a sense of strong identity, uh, clarifying purpose, making intentional actions as they navigate the landscape of the work environment, working on self-care and well-being, working on managing triggers and designing relationships that, that work for them. I really don't like this one that, this mu that much, but it's really important and I don't like it because it puts such a tremendous burden on the underrepresented minorities to have to do this work. But most of this is necessary for surviving if you're a black person or an underrepresented minority in a predominantly white workplace. Why? Because no DEI program is addressing racism and white supremacy in the workplace. Maybe there's one. I've seen some things on Twitter, but I can't name the place because I'm not 100% sure. Now, even with all of the work that I've done as a coach and all of the work that those who I've coached have done to improve their circumstances, to take care of themselves in the workplace, it really is insufficient because they're going back out there and they are going into a workplace that is hostile. There's nothing changing about where they have to go and spend their time every day. 
it just leaves underrepresented minorities at a tremendous disadvantage because they have to carry this burden of white supremacy. They have to walk on this ground every day in the workplace and think about it almost incessantly in order to survive. And it takes away from the cognitive capacity that they have to do the work uh, that the organization needs them to do and to do the work that they most enjoy. So where does this leave us? If leaders and organizations are truly committed to an inclusive work environment, one that is just, one that is equitable, then we need to do things differently. And one of the things that we haven't done, and I don't know why, but we haven't done it, is look at the root cause that prevents us from moving the needle. Anyone who's worked in problem solving or consulting or anything like that, any analytical job, understands the need to look at the root cause. And you already know what the root cause is, white supremacy and racism that exists inside the systems and structures of organizations. We cannot continue to ignore that fact and expect to see change. We need a different kind of leadership. We need the kind of leadership that exhibits courageous authenticity. And even more than that, I would say we need leaders who are activists. Some folks are going to be triggered by that word and that notion of activist for political or historical reasons. But the reason I use that word is because activists dismantle things and there's something inside organizations that need to be dismantled. I have this client that I'm working with, that I'm coaching, and this client is a leader trying to change a system, trying to produce a more equitable and just system. I was in a coaching conversation with this client not long ago and it occurred to me that I had an activist in front of me. It hadn't occurred to me before. As you listen to this, I want you to let go of any negative connotations or judgments you have around the notion of activists. And just, just go with me here. This client is literally going to the root, collecting data, and doing the work to try to dismantle what is and replace it with what is better. What is more inclusive? What is just? But they're not outside making a lot of noise, making a, a ruckus, trying to be seen uh, in the news or anything, but is in a position of power to dismantle a system that is in place, doing it against the odds, doing it against resistance, and doing it from what would be probably one of the least likely places that people would think. Conservative, white, Republican. With me, a black man, as the coach. Now I have an agreement with this client to say what I see when I see it. And it doesn't have to be true. Uh, the client doesn't have to accept it. But the agreement is for me to name what I think I see and, you know, the client could either accept it, reject it, or have something else to offer. So I say to this client, I see an activist in front of me. After the inevitable denial, the client realized that what they were trying to do was to break something down and replace it with something that is better. That they were trying to challenge the status quo. These are all signs of a leader, but it's a particular type of leader. This is a, an activist leader. There used to be a lot more activist leaders in the United States. There are still a few out in the public spaces 
doing great work or trying to do great work, but that's difficult. We know that corporations really wield a lot of power in this country. And so I'm suggesting that activist leaders need to be inside organizations. At the moment, from my point of view, most of the people doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work who are activist leaders are independent. They are consultants. They don't sit inside organizations. Organizations are still working from that HR perspective of redistributing people and protecting the company. You know, and maybe there are activist leaders working in DNI inside organizations, but they don't hold the purse strings. They're not the ones making the decisions on how money gets spent. Their hands are tied. The folks who are holding the purse, the folks who are determining how money gets spent and what types of programs get put in place and what changes get implemented in the organization, they're simply not going to do it unless it's demanded by the masses. Companies simply are not going to do anything until they come under threat of losing their talent pool, uh, until they come under threat of losing money and losing position in the marketplace. And that happens when enough people, when enough people in the majority open their minds up, change their minds, and make demands. We saw this not long ago after George Floyd was killed last year. There was an upswelling of activism inside organizations where the white majority said, wait a minute, we need to learn about racism. We need to learn about white supremacy. We need assets that we can read and we expect our organization to support us. And book clubs emerged. Conversations emerged. All of this happened so fast that general counsels couldn't keep up. In the past, it was forbidden to talk about racism and white supremacy, but the white majority decided it was going to be so, and it was so. These were people who were behaving like leaders, like leader activists. In the absence of this activism, corporations would have done nothing. Does it make companies bad? I say not. They're just following the market. They're following their internal customers. They're following the demands of their internal customers. So in this Easter season, this Christian Easter season, a time of resurrection. I'm calling for the resurrection of the activist leader. We need activist leaders in order to change the narrative around diversity, equity, and inclusion inside organizations and even in society. So if you are truly committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, I would invite you into considering what it means to become an activist leader inside your organization. Thanks for listening, folks. That's all I have for today. It is an opportunity and an invitation for you to consider what type of leader you want to be in your organization. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Leadership Range. If you enjoyed the episode, I invite you to peruse the others for more great conversations. If you know someone you think ought to be on the podcast, please send me an email at neil at neiledwardscoaching.com. To connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash nedwards07. I look forward to you joining in for more conversations each Monday on the Leadership Range.